0: She's tied for the most goals in women's World Cup play ever. She led the U.S. to two World Cups and won the prestigious Golden Boot Award. And that doesn't even include her illustrious pro career that spanned over 15 years around the world, where she won FIFA's Female Soccer Player of the Year. I'm talking about Megan Rapinoe age 38, and she announced this year that she would retire. Last week was her last professional game. And in the third minute of the game, she went down with a non-contact injury that was found out she had tore her Achilles. In the press conference, after the game, commenting on her injury and what happened, she said this, I mean, I'm not a religious person or anything. And if there is a God, my injury is proof that there isn't. And she followed that statement with a few expletives. What is your reaction in hearing this from Reagan Rapino? Anger? That ungrateful whatever? Do you just want to give her a piece of your mind? Is it sadness? I wish she could see. Or maybe it's agreement. I understand where she's coming from. I have those same questions about God. Today we're going to see someone like Megan Rapino that is brought down low. And what is the response when this figure, this character has microphones put in front of him? What will he say? What if we put ourselves in this situation? What might you say to yourself when you're going through a period of being humbled? Maybe let's picture if you were next to Megan. What would you say to her as she says these statements? What you might communicate to her that might bring her the message of hope. Let's look together this is a very, very fascinating passage. Chapter 4 in Daniel, verses 28 through 37. It's printed in your worship guide. Let's pay attention as we look at God's word this morning. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The word of the Lord just joining us welcome we've been going this fall through the book of daniel it's a book about god's people brought into exile in a foreign land it documents 70 years period where daniel and his friends have multiple kings that they advise and two different kingdoms and here at the end of chapter four we're at the end of act one of this book and the human character that gets the most The most airtime in the first act is a very, kind of not expecting this to get the most play, Nebuchadnezzar, this king of a foreign nation, a king that conquered the Jews, exiled God's people, someone that worships other gods, and he is the one that gets the most time in the first four chapters it's not a very flattering picture of this great king. We've seen dreams have left him anxious. That it took these Jewish teenagers who were in exile to reveal the dream to him. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, yes, Yahweh is the God of gods. But his response to the dream was to build a golden monument to himself, the exact opposite of what the dream was trying to communicate. And then he listens to his advisors who weren't able to reveal the dream to him that say that he should throw anyone that does not worship this golden idol into the fiery furnace. Well, then he throws those that did advise him correctly into the furnace. And then he sees God's presence As these three are rescued and again he says oh how great is this God and now we've seen strike one strike two and now we're on number three another dream is given to Nebuchadnezzar now it's more personal not just about his future the future kingdom of Babylon but about him a dream that shows a tree that is powerful that reveals who he is that is stripped bare and is among the beasts of the field. And it calls Nebuchadnezzar to repent, to turn from his sin, to go towards righteousness. Now if you're the audience that's reading this book, which would have been the Jews that have returned back to Israel, and they have these other nations and kings that are persecuting them as they are back, and you're reading this, your response so this third time that Nebuchadnezzar is pressed is not, oh, I hope he gets it. No, your response is probably more like, I hope he gets it. And we're going to see his answer. What's his answer? This is his third time. Is he finally going to understand? Is he finally going to repent? Is he finally going to change? And we see that after 12 months, his answer, as it says in verse um, uh, 30, and the king answered and said, how does the king answer to this dream, to this thing? His answer is he walks upon this high place, right? You can picture him looking down upon his kingdom. Maybe looking down upon the hanging gardens of Babylon, right? One of the great seven ancient wonders of the world. These walls that he's built that the Greeks in Greek historians said that were 70 feet thick, 300 feet high. Maybe he's looking upon the temples that he's built. He's built multiple temples in Babylon and the palace that he's built to himself. Here he is above all of these things, even after God has revealed himself and he says, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Time and time again, we see that Nebuchadnezzar just does not get it. Maybe some of you don't know Megan Rapinoe, Uh, maybe some of you are people that follow the news, you might not know this, but Megan is kind of a lightning rod in the culture wars. And of course, when she made this statement last week about God, uh, Twitter exploded, right? And you can imagine many people on Twitter were saying things like, well, I hope she gets it. wonder what would our approach be to Megan if you sat down with her after this statement? I've thought about this this week. Maybe I'd say things like this. Megan, tell me about your career. Tell me about when you started playing and the talent that has been given to you. Maybe she would talk about that maybe we'd start talking about the time that she was born into where women's soccer has just flourished and how she has been a beneficiary of women's sports taking off since Title IX and all the things that she has gotten because of that. Maybe I would continue talking to her about how few injuries she had you had during your career. How maybe you saw your friends and colleagues hampered by injury in their careers and early. But your greatest injury didn't come until your last game. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? All that's happened to you. A quick reminder, it's Thanksgiving this week, right? Who do you thank for things that there is no human agency for? Creation. When you were born in time, to the family that you were born into, these concepts of love and reason and creativity, your very existence, you sometimes think about all the kind of permutations that had to be in place, your parents at that time in this place, for you to exist. I think Nebuchadnezzar is working on trying to be thanksgiving, (laughs) trying to be thankful. But you see, he's a guy that's wrapped up into the worry about his kingdom, the dreams, a golden tower to show his power. When he feels like he is threatened, he throws his adversaries into the furnace. It's not good. Or Megan, after her illustrious career and all that she's been given... She has to say that. That's what you're thinking about? About how dare a God make me have an injury on my last game? You know, it's easy to throw Nebuchadnezzar and Megan under the bus. But if we're honest, some of us lack thanksgiving, joy, joy, We're malcontent. And much of it is the result of our pride. Thinking that we are the center of this story. That everything should work out in our ways. In our timing. We just had more power or control. Then my life would be better. So I think this is where the story shows most people that read this story, even us, we are not at the highest level like Nebuchadnezzar, right? We are lower on the totem pole. We don't have the ability to pull the strings that we want to to move places and things where we want them to go. But this passage shows that even people that have all that power still are not in control. There is one that. Is greater. If that's true for them, how much more true is it for us? Well, what happens? Well, maybe Nebuchadnezzar forgot about the dream or thought God was not going to follow up on what he said he was going to do. But just as God said he would, and Daniel interpreted early on, it happens, word for word, of what God would do. And this is a vivid picture. There's one on the front of the worship guide. My girls are wondering, what the heck is going on, right? This great Nebuchadnezzar starts eating like an ox, like a wild animal. Great irony there that Daniel announced him at the beginning of the book that here is one that rules over the beasts of the field. Now he's become one. Through history, there's a name for it now bone people that think that they're like a bovine animal, a cow or an ox or whatever it might be. That is happens. People go through these mental conditions. And recovery is possible. A common question that also has arisen as people read this story I got in my community group and other people have asked during the week, what happened to the kingdom of Babylon when the king was acting like an animal in the wilderness? Nothing said there. There's silence there about who ruled the kingdom during that time. We don't know how long it actually was. A period of completion. I guess it was pretty long if his hair was able to grow that long and his nails were like bird's claws. So it was a good amount of time. But I think the silence of not showing what happened during the, in the kingdom during the time that he was like an ox is on purpose. That the kingdom still ran even when he was not there. That's probably some of the most humbling things for any of us. That when we are away, the world still spins without you. Your family can still function, your job place can still operate. Guess what? The world will go on even if you are not there. That has to be humbling to Nebuchadnezzar, it can be humbling to us. A vivid picture of this great king brought down so low. In middle school, I was asked to uh, do volunteer hours at this uh, card show at the Dane County Coliseum. When I got there, I found out that the big draw was Muhammad Ali was there at the card show. Some of you grew up in the period of Muhammad Ali, you know, the champion of the world, I am the greatest, larger than life. And what I saw when I was there at the Dane County Coliseum was a man that could barely walk. He was dragged around by his handlers. Mostly had to be there because he was in financial ruin. These handlers had to take his hand as he signed posters. That he shook. People would come and take pictures with this man that was the greatest that could barely speak. These are pictures that are vivid, that great people have brought down low. Nebuchadnezzar eating like an ox like Megan Rapinoe in all her career brought down low with an Achilles injury Muhammad Ali what this passage shows us is this if you're going to hear anything I say it's this it shows the world that God can humble the proudest in hopes that they might turn to him and that people might see that he is the one that rules. But hopefully our application from that is we would not rejoice in others' humility, but we might see that through this God can transform people so that, that they might see what brings life. If we're honest with ourselves, we must all admit we've all been humbled. Even our best efforts in our relationships with others, in trying to raise our kids, in our jobs, in trying to remain healthy, in establishing our kingdoms, we have been brought to our figurative and sometimes literal knees. the picture of Nebuchadnezzar is not too far off sometimes of our own lives, where addictions might have crippled us, that relationships that are broken have left us in such despair we cannot even get up, where we have been in places where we think there is no control, and we are brought into the wilderness. This is a great tension that builds through the story and you wonder what will happen. What will happen to Nebuchadnezzar? How will he respond? We see, he lifts his eyes to heaven. It feels very much like reading a psalm to see where his help does come from. His reason returns. And then he gives this statement, this praise to God, this doxology that would blow any Israelite away with this orthodox statement about who God is that you would think this comes from a foreign king is amazing. That here the king that enslaved the best and the brightest of God's people, that threw them into a furnace with a snap of his finger, that ruled over kingdoms, that he would say that God's dominion is everlasting that all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. That this king has been brought to the place where he acknowledges even with all his greatness he is nothing compared to the Lord. It's a very interesting scene that he says, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. This is kind of language that talks about covenant promises by God. That basically is saying that God keeps his promises to his people. He fulfills it to those that follow him. This statement is so rich. <laughs> Coming from a king that exiled God's people. That threw them into the fiery furnace. That basically took them away from Jerusalem, that this king would then communicate that God is faithful to his people. And if you're an Israelite hearing that, maybe pressed by those that are around you, maybe feeling like you're in exile away from Israel, feeling like that you've been oppressed, that this king would say from his lips that God is faithful would just blow your mind say, that is how good our God is. That he's able even to take oppressive kings and humble them to have them admit that God is faithful to his people. I was trying to imagine how that might blow us away. Right? It would be like Tom Brady humbling himself, which is amazing. Tom Brady humbling himself humbling himself to say to us, you know, the true title town is Green Bay. The true goats of quarterbacks is not me, but Bart Starr, Brett Favre, and Aaron Rodgers. That would, amen, right? Yeah, right? Could we imagine that happening? That is how great this is. I think what the most shocking thing I think that the king says is at the end. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? If anyone could question God, it would be Nebuchadnezzar. He made him to think like he was an ox eating the grass of the field, roaming out there on all fours. If anyone could say, what are you doing? It would be him. But through all of that experience, he says, no one can say, what have you done? Isn't that true? When someone is taken hold of by the living God, even through the most craziest situations they have might have experienced, no matter how much hardship they've gone through, they can say, I praise God for what he did in my life to bring me to this place. You doubt that? I encourage you one time to go to an AA meeting. I encourage you to go to that place where people humble themselves, some of the most powerful people of our city humble themselves and say, God you were in control and you humbled me through my addiction to know that you are the one I need to submit to and I have to be here every day submitting to you. I cannot say what have you done because I know you have led me to where I need to be. Maybe that leads us back to Megan. Is it so surprising that you swore God? This is really the question of our age. We make our own values. We make our own identity. We find our own meaning. Our self-expressionism is what rules. The idea that there is something outside of ourselves, one that created us and made us, that might see something that we do not see, is blasphemous. Who could know better than me of what I need for my life? This is the amazing beauty of this story. That's how Nebuchadnezzar lived. Who knows better than me? I'm the king of all of this. And what did God do? He brought messengers from Israel into his kingdom to speak to him that told him the future of what would happen to his kingdom. God showed himself in his physical presence with the angel, or might have been Jesus, with the three. He showed himself physically to Nebuchadnezzar. And then God humbled him personally Look how far God traveled for a wicked king so he might see outside of himself that there is a God that loves him and has what's best for him. Now take that to us. You think that God did so much for Nebuchadnezzar? He has done even more for you. He has shown through time that kingdoms rise and fall. He has shown his physical presence to you in his victory over death by sending his son to die upon the cross and rise from the dead. And then he gave us his word to constantly communicate this to us. And not just one person telling this story, but four different individuals in the Gospels and then the church being grown through time. And then he comes to us personally through the power of the Spirit communicating to us that we might see our need for him. Look how far God has traveled for wicked people like us so that we might see outside of ourselves and see how much he loves us. Megan, could this injury be showing you something greater than you see currently? Could it be happening at the end of your career to point you to something greater after your career? You see, when the proud see God's supremacy, their humility leads to life. When the proud see God's supremacy, their humility leads to life. probably one of the most surprising things of this passage is at the end. This would probably be the most surprising thing for the readers at that time, these Israelites. I mean, they are angry at the kings that are oppressing them, the empires around them. They want God to put pressure on them. They do not want their success. They want these people to be brought down low, their kingdoms to fall. But that's not what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. What does it say in verse thirty-six? As his reason returned for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was establishing my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. And if you're an Israelite reading this, you're going. That is not fair. This one that did wrong over and over and over again, we redeemed and be given these things. And we see that these things that are given to him are also held with what he says. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride. He is able to humble. There is much debate through church history whether Nebuchadnezzar was converted or not. I really think it's a silly debate. Only God knows. But what I hear him saying at the end, I think he's confessing the right things. And I think this is a picture of restoration. I'm sure, lots of people say it's not fair. It's not fair that Nebuchadnezzar gets this after failing time and time again. But if we're going to get anything from Nebuchadnezzar, I hope it's this. He points to a greater king. A king that also humbled himself under his father. If anything that was not fair, it was not fair that this king had to give up his rightful crown and his kingdom. And everything that's not fair is that that king, in giving up his kingdom, gave it to us. as we say maybe to Megan or to Muhammad Ali or say to Nebuchadnezzar, it's not fair, it's not fair that people are blessed in this way. We should say to ourselves, it's not fair that we are blessed, that this king humbled himself unto death so that we might receive his kingdom and his reign in heaven. it's hard for me to have a good heart towards Megan Rapinoe. The things that she has said about Christians through her career, the way that she has lived, the kind of culture wars that she creates, all of these things. But I would hope that as Christians, as we face people like that in our lives, that we might walk with them and listen to them and love them? Maybe Megan might listen to this sermon one day, and I might want to say to her, and I'll say to her now, Megan, there's something greater than all your goals, all your trophies, all your accolades of this world. There is something that will bring real success in your life. And if you commit to his kingdom, all the trying to prove yourself, all the bitterness, all the anger can wash away. And you can find true hope. I am not saying it to Megan but maybe I'm saying it to you. Maybe you need to hear that. You are bitter. You are angry about your life. You wonder why things have happened the way they have. Maybe God is humbling you. When you submit to Him and you give your life to Him, then you would find real hope and real success.